we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to take your Bible and go with me into the Old Testament, into the book of 2 Samuel, and we come today to chapter number 7. If you are new to us and just recently began attending here, we have been studying through the life of David, and much of this study has been taken from 1 and now 2 Samuel. We've also gleaned from the Psalms, which are the prayers and praises that many of them, not all of them, but many of them are written by David. And then, of course, the book of First Chronicles also records for us many of the events surrounding the life of David. Uh, when last we visited here in Second Samuel chapter number 6, we saw that David had brought the ark of the Lord into Jerusalem. The ark of the Lord signified the glory of God, the presence of God, and the name of God. And it was David's desire, after he had been anointed king in Jerusalem, by not only the men of Israel and the men of Judah, after the kingdom was unified, after the long war, and the rebellion of Judah, or Israel rather, when the kingdom was unified, David's desire was to, of course, defeat the enemies, namely the Philistines, uh, to bring peace and security to the nation of Israel, and then to bring the ark of God up to Jerusalem. If you'll remember when he first attempted to do so, they put the ark on a new cart, and a man named Uzzah in an effort to keep the ark from falling off the cart, put forth his hand and touched it. The Bible said that Uzzah made a breach, and touching the ark of the Lord, and the Lord smote Uzzah dead. It was a dreadful day. The ark of the Lord was carried into the house of Obed-Edom, where it remained for several months, and David heard that God blessed the house of Obed-Edom. David then had opportunity to understand his error in having the ark of God carried on a cart when God prescribed that it be carried by the Levites. And so it was done as it should have been done, and then, of course, they were able to bring in the ark of God to Jerusalem. It is after all of these things have taken place that we come to chapter number 7. I invite your attention there. We'll read verses 1 through 17. And it came to pass when the king sat in his house and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day. 
but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye not me in a house of cedar? Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee what he, that he will make thee an house. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt, keep, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee which shall proceed out of thy bowels and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. I'd like to invite you to look with me at the very last sentence that we come to in verse number 11. The Bible says, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning. The Lord will make thee an house. The Lord will make thee an house. God is going to build a house for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your blessings. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit whose aid we seek. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enable us to receive your truth and to understand it. May we yield us our hearts to you, to respond in obedience to your word. I pray that you would enable me to communicate the message of your word in the power of the Holy Ghost. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot said about houses in this chapter. David desires to build the Lord a house. God said, wait a minute, David, I'm going to build a house for you. That was a promise that the Lord made. The Bible is a book of promises. We find in the word of God many exceeding great and precious promises. It's a book of promises centered upon one ultimate promise. And that promise can be summarized this way. There is the promise of the Redeemer the Lord Jesus Christ, who would deliver sinners from the penalty of sin and death. 
making them the people of God, a family together, and giving them an eternal home in heaven with him. That, my friends, is the ultimate promise that we find in the Word of God. In fact, that is the theme of the Word of God. It is the theme of redemption. And it is the promise of redemption that answers the great dilemma of humanity, the dilemma of sin and suffering and death. It is a dilemma that was introduced in the garden. God created Adam and Eve. He created them in perfect harmony and fellowship with him. They were sinless. But when they sinned against God and disobeyed his command, as the Lord had warned them, immediately they died. They died that day in their spirit. Their fellowship that they had enjoyed with God the Father ended that day. Their innocence gone. They became sinners. And the Bible teaches us that the wages of our sin is death. Not only physical death, but spiritual death and eternal separation from God in a place, an awful place of torment called hell. And so Adam and Eve, having their eyes opened and their innocency lost, when they heard the voice of God coming to them in the garden, what did they do? They did not run to him as before. They ran from him and hid themselves from him. They were bound in the hopelessness and despair of their sin. But into the midst of that hopelessness, God gave hope with a promise. I'll read it for you in Genesis chapter 3. In fact, I would invite you to turn there because in just a moment, we're going to look at Genesis chapter number 12. But in Genesis chapter 3, we have the promise of God to deal with the problem of sin and death. And the promise is made to Adam and Eve in the presence of the serpent. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, And the Lord said, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. He's speaking here to the serpent. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it, the seed of the woman, shall bruise thy head. That means to deliver the death blow to crush the head of the serpent, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The fulfillment of that promise is made in Christ, who died and was buried and rose again, victorious. He defeated Satan. This is the first promise that was made of the redeeming work of Christ. In Genesis chapter 12, God sheds more light upon his promise when he speaks to a man named Abram who had a wife named Sarah, Abram was 75 years old, Sarah was 65. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God said to Abram, I'm going to give you a child. You're going to have a family, a man who was 75 and had no family, who had no child. I'm going to make a family uh, from you and Sarah. And through that family, all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because they will hear about who I am. God is going to reveal himself to a pagan world through Abraham and Sarah and their seed. 
in, in Exodus or Genesis rather chapter 49 in verse number 10, Jacob gives us more light when he says that the scepter will not depart from Judah. In other words, he's revealing to us that the promise of the Redeemer will come through the seed of Judah. And then as we come now to 2 Samuel chapter number 7, we're finding out that this promise not only will come through the seed of Judah, the tribe of Judah, but will come through the lineage of David, the king that the Lord had chosen, a king after God's own heart. You see, God has a people, and God has a place for those people. And ultimately, Christ and his church, the church being his people, have a place as well. This is a precious promise that God has made to us. It is a promise that we hold to as we live in the midst of a wicked world, a world filled with confusion, a world looking for answers but with no solutions. We have a promise today. A promise that we embrace in life, a promise that will uh, see us through in death, a promise that we will enjoy throughout all eternity. This is the promise that was given to David in 2 Samuel chapter number 7. And so we have a vital interest in this promise because we, like David, share in the blessings of this promise. This is, as some commentators would refer to it, as one of the most important, most significant chapters in the Word of God. Now, I want to give you four thoughts, four headings, and uh, we'll see. I, I, I imagine we may get through three, all right? And so we'll take them one by one. Let's begin with the first one. Number one, David's proposal. David's proposal. Uh, look again at verse number one, 2 Samuel chapter number seven. And it came to pass when the king sat in his house and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies. Now, David has, his, is now able to enjoy something that as far as we know, throughout his lifetime, he's not been able to enjoy. Uh, when we first meet him, he, he is a shepherd serving his father. Then he, he goes into battle against Goliath, and then he, is, he, he wins the victory, and then he's summoned to serve uh, the king, King Saul. But then soon Saul uh, becomes jealous and envious of David and begins to pursue David, and David is on the run for many, many years, hiding out in the wilderness and the caves and the dens with no home, no security. Finally, Saul is defeated and David becomes the king, but he's not immediately accepted by all of the men of Israel, only by the tribe of Judah, and so he is the king in Hebron. And there is a long war that takes place. We've looked at that long war. The house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. The house of David waxed stronger and stronger. David then finally <coughs> is able, with God's help, of course, to unify the kingdom, to fight the battles, to overthrow the Philistines, to drive them out, and then to bring in the ark of God. And finally, he is able to do something that, as far as we know, he hasn't really been able to do in decades. He's able to sit in his house a house that was built by the king of Tyre who sent messengers to David. 
with all the lumber and all the materials and built the house. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 5 and verse number 12, and David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. So David is at home in his house. We imagine it was a very nice home. He is at rest from his enemies. No more battles, no more wars. Now, there will be more to fight, but at least for this time, a stage of security. The ark is now in its place in Jerusalem. And as David sits there enjoying the comforts of home and the beauty of home and the tranquility of a moment's rest, what is working in the heart of David? What is going on in his heart? Well, he tells us, look in verse 2, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. David was concerned about the glory of God. David was concerned about the spiritual temperature of the nation of Israel. David was concerned that he was living a life of comfort and ease, at least for that moment. And he put the interests of God ahead of himself. He put the interests of the kingdom ahead of himself. As we noted last Sunday evening in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This ought to be our priority. This ought to be at the forefront of our heart. David was concerned for the name of God to be propagated and promoted. David was concerned for the glory of God. David's heart was tuned to the Lord. Now he speaks to Nathan, the prophet here, who is first mentioned in this chapter. Nathan, of course, is a prominent figure in the life of David because it will be Nathan who points his finger in the face of David and says, Thou art the man, after David had committed adultery and murder. It will be Nathan who goes to David in his old age and encourages him to preserve the kingdom and anoint Solomon as the king. So Nathan will have a very prominent role, but we understand here that Nathan is serving perhaps in some capacity, maybe as we would call it, a chaplain for the king. And David, in his heart, with this desire to honor God, to, to build a house for the Lord, speaks to Nathan concerning his plans. And Nathan immediately affirmed the king's plan. Look in verse 3. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. Now we come to verse number four and we find that after, day, after Nathan speaks to David, that the Lord speaks to Nathan. And instead of encouraging David to build this temple, God changes the plan. He changes the plan. So we might ask the question, should David be commended for his desire to build the temple? That was his proposal. But the answer comes to us, if you look in 1 Kings chapter number 8, you'll find an answer that I believe helps us understand that God in his, in his redirection of David is not reproving him for this desire to build a house for him. In 1 Kings chapter number 8, 
these are the words of Solomon. Solomon said, and it was in the heart of David my father, verse number 17, 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 17, and it was in the heart of David my father to build an house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. Why did David want to build the house? He wanted to build the house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. He wanted to build a, a temple where the ark of God would dwell, where the people of God would gather, where they would approach God, where they would make sacrifice to God, where the priest could atone for the sins of the people, where God's presence would dwell, where the word of God could be taught and proclaimed to the people. When all the world wanted to know who was the true and the living God, they would know that it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was on David's heart. Let me ask you this morning, what is on yours? What are you concerned about? David could have been concerned about his house and his comfort and his ease and his retirement portfolio and his pending vacation and the latest chariot that rolled off the assembly line. Instead, his mind and heart were occupied by a desire to honor the Lord. Look at verse 18 of 1 Kings 8. And the Lord said unto David, my father, whereas it was in thine heart to build an house unto my name, thou didst well that it was in thine heart. God was pleased that David had a desire to build this temple, although David would not build it. God was pleased with what was in his heart. You see, the Lord knows what is in our hearts. And I think about the opportunities before us as a church as we think about the property that we have purchased next door. What will God lead us to do? Why would we even make such a purchase? so that we can promote the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church? Oh, no. So we can promote the name of Jesus Christ. So the gospel can be preached. So more families, like the families that we saw come in here just a few moments ago with children, can bring their children to hear the message of truth so the word of God can be taught, so souls can be saved, so that lives can be spared, so that the Lord will be magnified. May this be the desire and prayer of our hearts. We see David's proposal. Secondly, we see the Lord's perspective. Look at verse 4. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came into Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? You see, although that Nathan had affirmed David's proposal, the Lord had not. I'm sure that Nathan learned a valuable lesson here. Speaking before he knew what God would have to say of the matter. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We do that. So the Lord will give his perspective here concerning David's proposal. Now, he asked David a question. In fact, he asked him two questions. 
First of all, we read in verse number five, he says this, shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Is it your responsibility to build me a house? Look at verse six. Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the day that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. The Lord said, I, I have not dwelt in a house since I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt. I have dwelt in a tent and a tabernacle. God says, I have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. And what does this indicate to us? It indicates to us that God is not at rest. He's not ready to settle down. God is at work. And may I say to you that God is at work today. He's at work. And we look at verse 7. In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye not me in house of cedar? In other words, have you ever heard me say to the people, Build me a house? And the answer to the question was no. The Lord had never commanded that anyone build a house for him to dwell in. What is the point? The point is this, that God, as I said a moment ago, is not at rest. He's not settled. He is at work. He cannot be confined to a building. Today, he inhabits a people, much better than a building. He lives and dwells within his church, the individual believer. He lives within us. We are the household of God, the household of faith. You see, what we must learn here is that the Lord does not conform himself to the ideas of men. And oh, don't we have ideas. We have such ingenuity and such educations, and we're such prominent thinkers. Certainly God would be pleased with all of our thoughts. And while God is pleased with the heart of David, this thought, this idea is not what God was after. So we learned that the Lord does not conform himself to our ideas, but we must be conformed to his truth. His truth. That's where the test is. We also recognize that any house that a man builds is temporal. It's not going to last long. But the house that God builds is eternal. The Bible says we have a house not built with hands, not the hands of men, a house that God is awaiting, has awaiting for us, eternal in the heavens. So we have David's proposal. We have the Lord's perspective. And then thirdly, we have the Lord's promise. Now this is really the subject that, that we're looking at here, the Lord's promise. The Lord is going through uh, his message to Nathan and on to David. He's going to turn the tables David, you want to build me a house. Here's what I want you to know. I'm building you a house. Now, why, why, why should we be concerned today about the fact that God was going to build David a house? Because you and I are going to dwell in that house. Because ultimately, this was not the house for David. Let me tell you who this house was for. It was for Christ and his church. It's the house that we can all dwell in. Now, let me say this. This is not the house that you find, you know, listed on the website. 
This is not your dream home. This is not a physical building. Let me tell you, it's much greater than that. It is a family. God is not going to build a house for David. David already had a physical house. He is going to build a lineage, a dynasty, a family for David that David would be a part of through all eternity, never to be separated from. And all of us who know Jesus would be a part of that family and that household. So this promise is very important to us because as we've already seen, God is unfolding his plan of redemption. He began with Eve and Adam and Eve in the garden. Then uh, in, in, in uh, Ur of the Chaldees when he revealed it to, to, Aaron, uh, to Abraham. rather, And then in Egypt when Jacob gave the prophecy uh, to Judah. And now here in 2 Samuel chapter 7 as Nathan speaks the word of the Lord to David. It's the promise. It's a very important promise. We look at it here in verse 8. Now, therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David. Okay, Nathan, you jumped the gun. David is not going to build the the temple, but here's what I want you to tell him. There are three aspects to this promise. First of all, there is a reminder of God's faithfulness to David. A reminder of God's faithfulness. Look, if you would, please, again in verse 8. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. As I was with thee, whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Now those of you who have been with us throughout this study will understand the significance of these statements. What is God saying? He's saying, David, remember where I found you. Where did he find him? Out in the field. Taking care of the sheep. The sheep coat, the pasture land, that was, his, that was his abode. Perhaps under a tent or somewhere uh, under the stars, David would sleep at night, the dew of the night upon his brow, uh, it, perhaps through the cold and through the heat. God says, I found you out there on the sheep coat, and I took you from the sheep coat, and I put you in a palace, in a home in Jerusalem, and made you the ruler over my people. Look at what I have done for you. Verse 9, and I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight. Let me tell you, David had a number of enemies, but God had delivered them, had delivered him from them all. David had experienced war and oppression, but now he is experiencing peace and rest. And then he says to David, and have made thee a great name like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Now, let's go back. Let's go back to the house of Jesse. When Samuel the prophet goes in to the house of Jesse, as God told him to go, and he says to Jesse, gather all your sons. And so Jesse gathers all of his sons except for one. Which one was that? Well, that was David. Where was he? He was out taking care of the sheep. He was overlooked He was obscure, even in his own family. What did God do? He took David from obscurity and brought him onto the battlefield where he defeated the Philistine giant. 
the women of Israel would sing in the streets, Saul has slain his thousands, but David had slain his tens of thousands. All the pagan nations around uh, that surrounded Israel, they knew that David was anointed to be the king. What had God done? He had taken him from obscurity to fame. What has God done for us? You see, here we find that God, in establishing his promise to David, reminds him of his faithfulness in the past. And can we not look back upon our lives and see how faithful God has been to us? He has taken us from obscurity and brought us into his house. He found us out in the fields uh, and now has brought us into the family of God. We have a home in heaven, an inheritance awaiting us there, incorruptible. He has delivered us from the war and oppression and has placed peace in our hearts. And we are the recipients of the promise of his rest. He reminded David what he had done for him. There was a reminder of God's faithfulness. Then there was a renewal of God's promise. Look at verse 10. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them anymore as before time. Now, this, this is a little bit mysterious to think about. Where is David and the people of Israel? Where are they dwelling? Well, they're dwelling in the land of Canaan. Was that not the land that God said he would give to them? Absolutely. But notice what the Lord says. I will appoint a place. There's a better place. There's another place. Abraham looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker was God. It could not be found in a geographical location on this earth, but I want you to know that there's coming a day when this earth will melt away, the, the, the elements will melt away. We know that God will create a new heaven and a new earth, and we know that there is a new Jerusalem that is coming down from heaven to men, and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will rule and reign forever. I will appoint a place for my people and will plant them. What a powerful word. We'll be planted, and no man may remove us, that they may dwell in the place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. No more enemies, no more battles, no more foes. You see, as we live our life on this earth, we recognize the older that we grow, that it's fading, it's fleeting. As a seven-year-old boy, I heard the message of the gospel and was saved in a Bible school assembly. As a seven-year-old boy, I could look forward to what I expected my life would become. Today, at the age of 53, with more years behind me than I have ahead of me, perhaps. I guess I better not give up yet, right? I could make it to 99. That would balance me out. What do you have to look forward to? Sickness, pain, Medicare, Social Security, ailments. Now you got something really great to look forward to. 
life everlasting. Heaven. No more funerals. No more tears. No more misunderstandings. No more family feuds. No more, no more difficulties. No more temptations. No more heartaches. It's an appointed place. It's a permanent place. And it is a peaceful place. There was a reminder of God's faithfulness to David. There was a renewal of God's promise to his people. And then lastly, we're closing here. There was a revelation of God's purposes through David. A revelation of God's purposes through David. You see, this promise, though it referred to the old and to the past, there's a revelation that God is going to make to David that absolutely fills David's heart, fills David's heart with such joy and praise that he's overwhelmed. Look at it in verse 11. And it's since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. <laughs> David said, I'm going to build a house for the Lord. The Lord says, no, I'm going to build you a house. Now, remember, this is not a physical house. This is greater than a physical house. This is a family. This is a dynasty. This is a lineage. Who is David? David is the king. And what is God doing? He is establishing the rule of David, the throne of David, the name of David. Verse 12, and when thy days be fulfilled... And thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee, thy children and, and your grandchildren. This is what he's referring to. Which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Who is he referring to here? He's referring to one who has not been born. He is referring to Solomon. Verse 14, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. And as we know, Solomon did commit iniquity, and he was chastened. But notice this in verse 15. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. You see, recipients of this promise will not have the mercy of God removed from them. Have you noticed as this world grows increasingly more politically correct, it gets more hostile. And as it grows in hostility, there is no mercy to be found. If you get outside of the message of the mainstream today, even though you may walk among them, they will turn on you and they offer no mercy. Mercy can only be found in the house of God. He said, my mercy will not depart. Look, notice verse 16. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. David is listening to this, and he's overwhelmed. What is God saying? He's saying, David, from you will proceed the king, the righteous king, the son of God, the son of David, who will rule for all eternity. The redeemer, 
the ruler who will bring justice and righteousness will proceed from you. Now, what are the implications of this promise? What does this mean to us? Well, it means a lot to us. I would say this, first of all, our rest, our rest can only be found in one place. That's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is our world raging today? Because people are restless. They're looking for hope. They're looking in all the wrong places. It can only be found in Christ. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Now, there's something we need to know. Though we enjoy rest in our souls now, our rest is future, not present. We can have peace now. The peace of God which passes all understanding, and we do possess it. But perfect peace will come when we all get to heaven. You see, as long as we live upon this earth, the enemies will fight us. The enemy of sin, the enemy of the flesh, the satanic uh, forces will war against us. But when we get to heaven, no more. No more. Most of us wrestle with a lot of things, but the biggest thing we fight is ourselves. But when we get to heaven, we'll be at peace and rest. Our rest will be eternal, not temporal. You see, we are the people of God. We do have a place, and we will enjoy his peace for all eternity. That's why this promise is important. And not only is it David's promise, but it's your promise. And as you, as you struggle through this world, as you live from day to day, as you deal with the oppression and the enemy and the, and the anxiety and the restlessness and the temptation and the trials of life, may God Help us to embrace this promise. And if you've never embraced it, if you've never received it, I want to invite you today to receive it. It is offered to all who will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. David wrote in Psalm 23 and verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus said in John 14, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Have you come to Jesus? If you'll come to him and believe upon his name, he will save you and forgive you of your sin, and he will give you an inheritance. You will receive that promise. He is building a house and you will be a part of that house. 
safe and secure forever. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.